Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. Uh, Jordan has returned after a two-podcast hiatus, and we now have a Labor government, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, damn, a lot happened. You feeling happy? Uh, Feeling joyful? You don't look like it. Yeah, look... It's it's good that we actually have a government in power. I'm very happy for that little respite. But uh, I I just think that the 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 victory really shows that it was more or less pyrrhic, and that this will probably be the last majority government of the Labor Party that we will see in our lifetime. Uh, what does pyrrhic mean? It, it, it's like I, th- I think that is it pyrrhic or pyrrhic. I think it's pyrrhic. It's like it's a it's a Greek king who fought the Romans many times, uh, had victories against the Romans, but the Roman military machine was so good at grinding them down and just like recruiting new soldiers that they could just keep throwing at the Greeks that there was one victory where he said, one more victory like that and I will be done. So it means a victory at such a great cost that it was really worth having the victory in the first place. And it's not exactly the same because it's like obviously worth having the victory. But the thing is that I think that I think that you know rich seats have gone into the little fiefdoms. I don't think that the Greens are as a risable force as what they are. But the, the fact that their primary vote is down to that really shows that you're into the majority governments and all these people that say, "Oh, yeah, it's a good thing that we have minority governments." Well, look at the history track record of them, right? Queensland, Tasmania, the, federally made the governments objectively worse. I can go through all of the examples. In fact, I have in previous podcasts some videos. That's just the outline of it. It's just minority government doesn't work like you think it works in bloody Germany or whatever. You just have that dot point in your head. But I bet you if you actually knew the system well in Germany, you'd be like, oh, there's a lot of fucking flaws in this. Um, What what would make you happy, Jordan? How many seats does Labor need to win? 80. 80. 80. That's what I wanted. I wanted 80. How many Senate seats do they need? Actually, you know what? I'm kind of happy about the Senate. The Senate's great. Why is that? Because the Senate is now more or less a three-party system. Yeah, like there's a few other ones, but now it's Greens, Libs, Coalition, and the Labor Party, which means that you will actually see what the Greens are like. And let's hope that they've learned from 2010. I don't think that they have, but you will see because the Labor Party will be in the position to force them to vote on a lot of issues where they can't hide behind other votes and be like, oh, yeah, we can tactically vote for this one with the Labor Party this time. It'll actually just be like, do you actually support this bill, yes or no? And that will really show the true colours of them. But, yeah, so that's that's why I'm kind of, like, happy about the Senate. But in terms of that, it's just, like, just no fat, no fat for error. As you said, they might get two seats. That really means that they have one person that can die of old age or – uh, be caught in one too many strip clubs before they go on. <laughs> yeah, and you can hold uh, Albo to ransom. And you can hold Albo to ransom. That's the other thing as well. Barilaro would have loved it. He would have gotten a lot of pork barreling done. <sighs> Could you imagine? He missed out. Just like a quick far switch out. of allegiance. That <laughs> <laughs> Jordan has actually convinced me. Oh. Uh, I am now running. <laughs> yeah, that local council mentality gone yeah. federal. Could you imagine? Yeah, if you had anyone as unscrupulous as the Nationals on a state level, mm. my God, you could <laughs> like, you'd be right for the picking. Wow. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to the, the new videos and 
Today, uh, what do you want to talk about? I've got a few ideas of things I was thinking of talking about. Do you have anything that you specifically are interested in? Before we actually get into that, let's uh, let's say that there's uh, a couple of shows going on. Jordan has shows all over the place. You're doing shows regularly everywhere, so go to friendlyjordies.com. Uh, I've got a show in Newcastle, June 12th, and Brisbane, June 19th, the first time we're taking that new show to Brisbane. So go to comedyuntamed.com for that one. And... Yeah, come along, see some good comedians, different show every time. Yeah, and it's it's like you can tell from the TikToks and these videos, it's a fun night. Yeah. It looks like a really fun night. Australia's wildest comedy show. Yours is great too. Yeah, okay. my, my, my night isn't fun. The, the, the thing is, <laughs> your, yours, I, I really, I actually think that you're getting there on obviously nothing of the budget of one of those BBC <laughs> quiz shows. Like it's got that same atmosphere and that's great. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, that's very nice. Thank you. That's a that's a big compliment. I appreciate that. Um, what do you want to talk about? As I w- was actually thinking of talking about school shootings after the recent one in Texas. No idea that that happened, but go on. Well, you didn't hear about it. No. Well, uh, an eighteen-year-old uh, first shot his grandma in the face. Jesus Christ! And she called the police. She didn't die, as far as no. I'm aware. And then he drove to an elementary school. And barricaded himself in a classroom with uh, kids that were about mm, ten years old, yeah, okay. and uh, a long life. most of the school was evacuated. And he held quite a few students hostage. Ended up killing a fair few and a teacher. And the law enforcement. There's a big controversy. The law enforcement, um, well, ostensibly just stood out there, not doing anything, and were waiting for a tactical team or something. And a lot of people were saying, "Look." There's ten year olds, and their lives are at risk here. Like, just just go in, forget your procedure, charge in. Uh, so, look, I don't want to talk about the specific event, but I'd actually be very interested to unpack uh, school shootings, why they're happening, uh, what is causing them, what can be done to solve them, and maybe psychologically profiling the sort of person, particularly the, the, these teenage boys, these are young guys that go in and shoot up schools. So do you want to talk about that or? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, but okay. All right. Well, before we uh, do that, let's go through our wonderful sponsors. Do you ever come early? I don't think you do. No, I've got the opposite problem. Yeah, come too late. Okay. Well, if you do come early, you know where to go. You go to, you go to steadyfreddy.com and you use the code Neil Jordan. You get 15% off. They've got a huge range of men's sexual health Products right here, if you're looking on YouTube, these are their Ball Boost tablets. Yes. So they support sperm health, they boost stamina, and they support testosterone levels. So you won't be doing any school shootings if you're taking these Ball Boost tablets. <laughs> Get your Ball Boost tablets, become a man. And uh, they also they, they have condoms, they have wet wipes, and they have their delay spray. And you just spray that on. If you're coming too early... And boom, you last for as long as you want. So go to steadyfreddy.com, use the code Neil Jordan, you get 15% off. We're also sponsored by Crush Organics. Crush Organics got a huge range of uh, CBD and CBD oil products. Man, it has improved my sleep so dramatically. And it's not even funny. Just eight to nine hours consistently every time I have this. So crushorganics.com, that's crush with a K. Use the code Neil, you get 40% off. That one, that's their platinum oil if you're looking on YouTube. 
get it nice and close. So uh, crushorganics.com. They also have, they got gummies, they got bath bombs, they got everything you want, everything your heart desires at crushorganics.com. All right. Do you have any other words on the election before we get into what I want to talk about? I bet you no one actually wants to hear my thoughts on school shooting. (laughs) Too bad. Just talk about the election. Too bad. What is this? I don't know. Like, look, what else can be said about it? Um, I think... I think, like, look, if, if, if you look at the way that the ABC was siphoning this, they were all just saying that this was a climate change election. Uh, and then the, their citing is obviously the Greens and Teal victories, which were mostly taken off of Liberal seats. And But the thing is that they're all in rich seats because those are what those parties appeal to. They are really identity parties, which is what all minor parties are really. They just narrow in on some identity and take them off. Greens, if there was Teals running in the... Uh, Queensland seats, they wouldn't be getting those. It was really a teal victory, and it was more just, yes, those rich harbourside mansion seats couldn't stomach the Liberals not doing anything for any longer, uh, and so they all started to break away from it, which means that the elite have created their own, like, just like this this third party that just represents the CEOs of Australia, which is great. And uh, that, that, that really has hindered... The Liberal Party is where do you get the seats from? As you were pointing out, they just move into migrant seats. What's the specific demographic that tended to vote Teal? Are we talking even in those? We know it's people who are affluent and well off, but was it more female skewed? Was it uh, a certain age demographic that went for them? I'd I'd guess that it was probably Gen X and millennials that are you know upper middle class, but. The boomers would have probably stuck with the liberals. Then again, I could be wrong. It's just a total guess. Mm. Is there any data on that? I know that with... Uh, <laughs> yes, you're right about all of that. But a little addition to it because of the seat of Wentworth. Uh, those the, the reason that Dave Sharma lost that, which is by such a large margin, more so than most of the other teal seats, was because it wasn't just exactly who you identified who would be voting for Allegra Spender, but it was also because Allegra Spender was from old money and Dave Sharma was from new money and the true blue bloods of Wentworth. So we're talking like the bluest of the blue seeds. Didn't like the fact that he made his money in stocks. They thought that that was, you know, somewhat distasteful that he couldn't trace his uh, wealth back to 1537 (laughs) <laughs> and so they, they 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 all sided with Allegra Spender, which also means that uh, it was a huge amount of Australian power that shifted over to these teal parties that want exactly the same as what the Liberals are offering, except for the two things that they just kept hammering throughout the election, which was ICAC and climate change. Other than that, they're fine with the Liberal Party. The other thing I think as well is, as we were saying, because like as always, you always have to think about this when you look at minor parties and you're just going to have to judge it with yourself as well. They're, they're always hitting identities and the identity that they were really hitting with that one was the fact that the Liberal Party, the, the true Liberal Party, the ones that feel that they have this uh, entitled right 
to the Liberal Party, right? Like that they'll put up with their country bumpkin cousins that are the, you know, the, the uh, bunyip aristocrat, as they're called, of the nationals. But this, this, uh, this face of the Liberal Party that has emerged of your Peter Duttons and your Scott Morrisons, they just can't grapple with it. They, they hate the fact that it's not Malcolm Turnbull there ruling the Liberal Party. They always needed someone like that to assure them that, yes, like it's, it's really the rowing clubs of Sydney and Melbourne that are still in control of the party. And when they weren't, they thought, well, that's it. We're just pressing the nuke button. And they've kind of disseminated. When people say, like, well, Scott Morrison destroyed the party of Menzies. So, so no. Scott Morrison and, uh, and what, maybe Abbott previously and, and, and Peter Dutton are not elite enough for them? No. And it's not so they much... They don't and operate it's again, in the same the- circles. They're not... Cause Scott Morrison goes to the NRL, even though it's clearly a marketing tactic, but that actually offends them. Is that what you're saying? That he's just... He appeals too much to the common man for their liking? I think that's it. I honestly think... that Because you talk to a lot of Liberal voters from those seats, the, the, the barrister types, right, that sit in the... Uh, what's it called again? The, the New South Wales Motor Club or whatever it's called, Yeah. They'll always just be saying, like, such an embarrassment. Tony Abbott is an embarrassment. And, and uh, Scott Morrison is even worse. I just, I, I can't stomach him. And, and when you really get down to it, really what they're just saying is the same as Bogans, where they're like, he's fucking annoying, but they just use better, more grandiloquent language. Right. And it is. It's just that. It's like they, they couldn't culturally stomach what the Liberal Party has turned into. They find it uncouth that they're winning seats like Penrith and Liverpool. And so they, they want out. They want out of it, which is really strange because it's like, okay, that's all well and good, but where do you go? You have your 10 little CEO women in parliament sitting up there and talking about their little gender equality issues and stuff. But it's just like you don't have power anymore. I mean, I guess maybe the hope is to actually create an effective Greens that one day gets enough seats that they can become that third party that is able. That's a very scary prospect, actually, if both the Liberals and the Labor Party need the Teals to form government. And so they're just permanently in government in that stage, which maybe is the plan. I don't know. Well, they did well. No one really expected that. Well. No. Well, people Apparently expected them to do well, not that they hit, well. They hit a lot of the Facebook ads and things. Mm. Because it's one of... It, Ironically, it's any. a it's a huge new money in the Povo area. You didn't see it. I didn't see any advertising from the Teals. What did you see? Just Sally Situ and Fiona Martin, just <laughs> both <laughs> sloganeering. <laughs> I didn't see any of that. Yeah, you're in you're in one of the Teal seats, aren't you? You're in, oh, yeah. are you in Wentworth? Yeah, and I'm in Wentworth. Well, I'm going to say that just that swung back to Labor after being Liberal for two years, uh, two terms, and. Yeah, I actually found that, you know what, the candidate should calm down with the constant uh, mail marketing because every time I open my letterbox, oh, what the fuck does that, what are they trying to tell me now? I already heard your message. You're, actually, you're actively making me not want to vote for you now. <laughs> Just give me two, one like four weeks out and one the week off. That's enough. But every day it was like Fiona Martin and Sally Situ. Fuck off. Okay, it got to that. Well, that's welcome to living in a marginal seat. Yeah. That's what you get. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. in a safe seat, nice. you don't even know who the fuck your local candidate is. Yeah, actually, you know what? It is probably good to be in a marginal seat because you know your vote actually does count. Yeah, true. So true. That was nice. Yeah, you, 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 your, your seat, that, that, that was crucial. 
That was actually crucial in this elect. Yeah, okay. No, well, look, maybe you just deal with the heaps of male understanding that you actually are one of the power brokers of the country. I suppose actually I that did happen that. in my seat as well, but it was I, I barely go home anyway, so there was always just like this phone book of Dave Sharma and Sally McManus things at the end. But it was obvious who was going to win that one. It's very cute. She's sitting on your lap. Yeah, she likes it. Yes. She can sense the, the bond. Oh, no, now the she, bond okay, well, now she hates it. Yep. It was beautiful timing, actually. Mm-hmm. All right, well... Yeah, <laughs> what a transition. Um, Ten-year-olds getting shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. That's a clearly a, a, a topic that we have a lot of expertise on. Yep. Well, to be fair, I mean, na- you know, autistic narcissism is something we probably do have a lot autistic of expertise on. So, as well. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that is the profile of the person who does these shootings. A yeah. lot of it is – a lot of it uh, has been young boys – that are disgruntled, are bullied a lot, generally have a broken home, and then you add that into you 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 put that into a country where guns are very easy to come by, and you add all that resentment together, boom, you got a recipe for disaster. To me, the only thing that could cause someone to do something so horrific is either they're completely deranged. And even then, historically, there were a lot of deranged people that did not cause that much carnage, but they want to take their pain out on society. So they just feel so much pain towards society and they think, what is the most horrific thing I can do to get back at a society that has been so cruel to me? This. That is really the worst thing you could possibly do. Mm -hmm. Like slaughtering children. That well, that that is that apparently is the mindset of them. It's apparently also uh, it's not it's not so much a murder as it is a suicide. Mm. If you read all the notes, the notes are always exactly what you say, and they 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 read like more deranged normal suicide notes of someone dropping off a cliff or in front of a train. It's usually about them wanting to die. Here's all the reasons why. Here's why I've been wronged, and then they just go out in a blaze of glory. I suppose. So I I don't really know. You know what else I think it is? It's not so much. I do actually agree with the Republican point, the rhetoric at least, not the actual like uh, implementation of policy, but the the rhetoric of it is. It's cultural. It it is. It is a cultural derangement, which means, and it's, it's very obvious when you go to the U S I was talking to Isaac Butterfield about this. It's, it's a much more crazy nation than Australia yeah. or most other countries that you go to. You can yeah. just feel that most people are more nutty. Yeah. They're insane. That's probably the first thing that hits you when you land in LA. If you've ever just driven around there, the extent of uh, unhinged people who, whether they're on drugs or not, it's it's sometimes even hard to tell, but <laughs> there is a an army of uh, crazies mm. in that city. And p- apparently it's been exacerbated even further due to the pandemic and not much is happening, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think the Republicans, when they say this is a deep-seated cultural issue, there's something clearly wrong with America. Broadly speaking, the West is probably 30 years behind, as it usually is when it comes to America as the cultural vanguard, but there's something really sick about a country where this is happening to such a degree. 
Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, the, the, the gun laws would be a Band-Aid fix because if they at least had universal background checks, if they had a cooling-off period, if they just did things that I think even most Republicans would stomach, that would probably uh, minimise the rate of incidents. But the deeper problem is the fact that people actually want to do this, and that is cultural because... Another point that the Republicans make that are, that is entirely correct is, well, automatic weapons of some some description have been around for a long time. I think since at least the sixties, and a lot of people would even have them, rifles and and whatnot. But these mass shootings are very modern phenomenon. Right, Co- Columbine was probably the first, one of the it have to be most sure. prominent ones. Yeah, that was the late nineties. Yeah, uh, and then you just saw through the 2000s happened at a far more increasing rate. And then Sandy Hook was the was 10 years ago now, and that was one that just shook the world mm. because that was a guy that killed kids that I think were even younger than these ones. They were, I think, five, six, seven. I don't know... And, and and theoretically speaking, let's, let's say they do try to do what Australia did, a, a gun buyback. That's just not feasible in a country like America. The amount of guns that exist there, the amount of uh, animosity a lot of gun owners have towards the government, no one's going to willingly give up their guns. In fact, when there's talk of uh, potential gun laws, the, the, the sales in guns spike dramatically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they just culturally, it's it's just too gun obsessed to actually, I think, have any um, significant positive consequences in enacting gun control. But it is a perfect storm, isn't it? It's. I, I do think that. I think at the end of all insanity lies some form of narcissism. It's a stat that I like to put out a lot on my self-help channel, that the average insane person uses the word I 10 times more than the average person. So when you go to a nut house, it doesn't matter what mental affliction they have, they're constantly talking about themselves. Um, so it's that combined with the fact that guns are so readily available, combined with the fact that I think that there's just a complete breakdown in government services. But you know what else? To... Uh, counter the point that the Republicans' rhetoric is correct, the classic trope that they have of the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. As you were saying, the cops just waited outside yeah. while kids were getting shot. So, yeah, I think they're wrong there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I think, I think we oh, have a real-world yeah. example of why that doesn't work. Yeah, that was, that was, pretty, that was an abysmal um, situation there, and there's some pretty horrific scenes where parents are just – Leading to go in there themselves. Ah. It's, uh, it's not nice viewing. Um, yeah, I don't want to be seeing that. Yeah. Um, and also, what, what the shooter was on 4chan a lot? Is that the usual thing? Um, I don't know about his uh, internet history, but it, it, look, he looked like he would have been. Mm-hmm. And uh, They always do, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they there's a clear profile of these guys. And they, they look the part. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're usually... Uh, they definitely come across like they're on the spectrum. Um, 
Because they have that look in their eye when you're taking like their profile photo shot where it's just like, are you, are you aware that a camera's on you? Yeah. You know, they've kind of got that like looking out into the distance robot face. Yeah. I can rattle off plenty of facts about some sort of uh, bizarre historical um, event. Yeah. But I can't talk to people yeah. and make them feel safe. <laughs> Woe is me. I mean, to be fair, look, I'm sure they have a very tortured life. There's a lot of people who have tortured lives that don't go and do something like that. Yeah, uh, and also on top of that was what you were saying. It's like it is it seems to be at least in there is a subculture there where it is culturally acceptable to do that. Because you know what else there's well, there, yeah, there is. There's this, there's this sort of arms race of how, whether they can actually get onto the leaderboard of school shootings. No. Well, I, uh, you, you would I would imagine so. so. I would imagine. You'd imagine so, yeah. actually. Because they'd want to be, there may be some people who actually want to be remembered for that. Uh, I remember there was a Elliot Roger in 2014. He did that video that was chilling. Oh, man. And he's like, I need to punish all the hot girls that rejected me. And it was just, <laughs> it was scary, man. Like seeing that. Um, and he had a very long manifesto. It was quite, actually quite detailed. Like a lot of these people are clearly h highly intelligent. These aren't stupid people, uh, but uh, they're just so resentful and hateful towards a society and that has, in their eyes, done nothing but just kick them while they're down and, and not even give them an opportunity. I think, I'm guessing, I mean, this is totally me just talking out of my ass here, but... Uh, Maybe other people who, if you say it's a sort of suicidal phenomenon, other a lot of other people suicide, sort of a lot of regret in their life and they maybe have some mistakes that they don't feel like they can atone for or, you know, they feel hyper, very lonely. But these people, I think, just never even had an opportunity to make mistakes because they were probably just bullied from when they were very young and a lot of them had, you know, parents that were maybe quite negligent or uh, just didn't understand them, didn't give them the proper treatment. And, you know, to, to, for, for other people to just say, oh, just to, if, with, if there's more mental health services, that will help. Look, that may help. It's also a Band-Aid fix, I think, like the gun control. Because really what you've got to be getting at is, why is this happening? Why is this occurring? Is it just a serious um, perversion of the culture? Has Notably in America. I mean, you should still do those mental health services and try to do that gun control. But again, that's just a Band-Aid fix. It's definitely at the core of it that is the problem. And I suppose that's the whole thing is, is the best that you could possibly do in a society like that is just come up with six or seven Band-Aids. Right and now, that's, it. that's like, the short-term fix. Yeah, That's the short-term fix. But the long-term fix is you're talking about truly a cultural revolution yeah to stop that from happening and that's not going to happen so what do you do you right. do band-aids well for now yeah you have to do band-aids but they're not going they're not going to i mean not to. it is like it's the, even it's the, the, the democrats aren't gonna they have the filibuster and all of that like they're not they never push any gun control i mean obama never did it i think they tried or something but there's always that one or two democrats that vote against it yeah so nothing really gets done there. No. I think actually, what was the stats? Was it that 4% of the American public agree with the NRA's platforms? Yeah. Because and they're the ones controlling all of the legislation. As far as I'm aware, even most Republicans agree on um, universal background checks and one other 
piece of legislation, bump stocks or something. There's something that you can add to a gun to make to make the rounds move quicker or something like that. Yes. They're, they're, I think the majority of even Republicans were in favour of banning that and having the universal background checks. Or there's, you know, there's often statistics like that where even people who would otherwise be pro-gun, if you will, are happy for some sort of reasonable legislation and control in that sense. I think, yeah, like I think I remember that as well. The, the other the other talking point that you always hear is like 71% of gun-related deaths are done by handguns and they're like in inner-city Chicago. Yeah, and that's true as well. Is the mass shootings just get to the core of people's um, fears because it's just such a horrific incident and they're actually a minority of gun deaths. Yes. Most of them are either accidents, a lot of people having an argument and you know, maybe someone uh, using the gun on, on a family member, but it, it like half accidentally in a fit of rage or something like that, or the suicide is huge there. Uh, I also just watched a documentary about the opiate crisis there. I mean, America is a hellhole. Unless you run a corporation or you're famous, America truly just sounds like a hellscape right now. Yeah. Having said that, I don't know what it's actually like on the ground. I'm sure we have some American listeners, so by all means, tell me if I'm wrong. Mm. But uh, what we're getting presented here is uh, a dystopia of sorts. You are, aren't you? Just, it's just endless <laughs> homelessness. Uh, opioid crisis. Massive, un- yeah, opioid crisis. Huge disparity between of, of wealth. Yeah. Um, Gated and- communities, literally Elysium. Yeah, and then and that's what it is. And also, just uh, the cultural division there is immense. Yep, they're on the brink of a civil war. Some people are saying that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's you know not looking good, to say the least. See, this is this is where your bloody uh, minority governments lead, folks. And I'm not I'm like I'm sort of joking <laughs> when I say it, and I'm sort of not. But I I do actually think that I, I really think that there is nothing more corrosive than identity politics. And that is something that has been weaponized, especially because look, a, a massive, massive reason why nothing gets passed through uh, the Senate, obviously, is because of the NRA, which is a point that the Chomsky always points about, about the uh, Republicans, which is that obviously they don't do anything except for block legislation for really specific interest groups. So we're talking about uh, for the evangelicals, anything on abortion, and for the gun nuts, anything on guns. It's all these s- small cultural issues that they bring together into one party that moves towards. So when when I, I, I really do think that. So what is constantly being stoked, and you're starting to see it in Australia, obviously, because we're always like you know a few years behind, but as we pointed out before, American politics is almost exclusively identity politics. You can even look at the percentage of coverage in it and always at the top, nothing about the economy, nothing about the environment. It's always things like school shootings, something like that, you know, Uh, uh, you know, uh, racial justice, something like things like that are at the top because they're always stoking that. The two parties barely have a point of difference other than cultural and identity issues. Yeah, they're both essentially center, you know, right wing parties economically speaking. Because after Jimmy Carter, the Democrats moved rightward, and you know, lost out on their union base and 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 whatnot. And the Republicans actually moved even further right. There's there's uh, there's 
footage of the, I think it's the 1992 debate or it might be the 1988 debate. And wow, yeah, seeing those two top Republican candidates and the way they were speaking, what they were talking about compared to, you know, Trump uh, going at it with Ted Cruz and insulting his wife. <laughs> it's clearly like, like, one, thing, one thing you can say is that, yes, the, the decorum and the politeness has entirely dissipated. We can say that much. Um, which is, again, a cultural thing as well, but it says something about just the broader scope of the country at large. And I think, I mean, as the country liberalised from the 80s onwards, what also happened is it was continually culturally liberalising in the sense that, you know, there's, there was the 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 cultural revolution of the 60s and that never really stopped. There's just been a sort of persistent... Uh, move away from what a lot of conservatives would call traditional values. If you're going to have a capitalistic society with not many social institutions and a smaller government, you need a strong cultural code. I don't believe in libertarianism. I don't really believe in neoliberalism. But the the one ethos that I, I have more respect for is just broadly speaking conservatism because you have the free market but you combine that with a very strict ethical code, which has usually been Christianity, and that's what keeps the society ordered. Mm. Conversely, mm. what you do is you have like strong social institutions, you have a, a, a stronger state, and that keeps the society ordered. And then you can have people be free and do what they want, and you know there can be much more variety in the way people act, morally speaking. What... America has now is like the economy of what it was in, you know, the early 20th century, but with the morals and with the sort of cultural code of. It's unheard it doesn't of, exist really. It doesn't, anymore. Yeah. yeah. There's it's, nothing it's, there. It's never, never been like this in all of history. And I think that's a recipe for chaos. Yeah. There's a, there's a recipe for just anarchy and self interest and decay. And yeah, I, I, if I was in America, I would always vote. I would I would be in favor of gun legislation and mental health checks and things. But I do actually agree with the Republicans when they say the real cause of this is cultural. Yeah. Yes. Yes. With the added note, though, that the Republicans did nothing to prevent the erosion of that culture. They really stoked it. They, they, they were the ones that started that massive culture war. And you, you are seeing the adverse effects of all of those things corroding now. He's actually, as Paul Keating is saying, where it's just like he, he, he's really saying that it's just turning into this strange mix of like a superpower that is also, uh, what was the phrase that he used? Kind of like a degenerate state or, or something like that. Like it's exactly what you're saying there, right? Like it's... An ungovernable country almost now. That's that's the impression that you get when you look at the United States. Or, at the very least, maybe a civil war is required for that country. You know? Because it's <laughs> you just saying, like, it's just... It seems it's untenable. It's too big. Yeah. There's too many, like... Is many Massachusetts the same country as even something like fucking San Francisco? Or I mean, is the, California the same as New York? Well, they always had it that the, 
the federalist system where the states were very different and they had stronger state governments. So a lo- I, I'm guessing, again, tell us if you're a listener from America, but just the states being very different culturally might not necessarily be the most significant symptom that the country is untenable. It's just a fa- culturally a failed state. No, it's not – It's not. You, you probably could hold it together, but it's sort of like a – at some point it kind of just becomes – the federal government would just have to become some – it really is what it is actually. It's sort of like a, a European Union of Some, sorts. Yeah, yeah, something's got to give. This just does not seem tenable. The thing is like with us, Queensland, people always say, yeah, 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 yeah you're crazy up there and stuff. And you go there and it's like, yeah, I guess there's like a – this more state of origin posters up here, but it's not. It doesn't feel like a completely different. Even when you go to Western Australia, it doesn't feel like a completely different country. Mm. Not at all. It feels the same. Australia is very homogenous. Even in, in in Britain, you can travel for an hour and you've got a completely different accent. Yeah, doesn't happen here. No, you go from, fly from Sydney to Perth. It's it's basically the same. Yeah, basically, it just you know Beaches, what it feels like. It feels like Perth is beer. just Sydney, uh, thirty years ago, which is great. I like that atmosphere. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Sydney's sort of at the precipice. Well, Sydney and Melbourne are kind of just like further evolved cities. Yeah. So that's your future, yeah. Perth. Yeah, further down the scale of gentrification. Get used to uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's that's really the difference there. At some point, it probably will. It's just a thing of like you know, too much freedom with three hundred million people from cultures across the planet. Yeah. At some point, it's going to create that petri dish of what it is. And again, it's like one factor of it. It's just. Is I think it's almost. I think Paul Keating said it's like it's it's burgeoning on a failed state. That's what it feels like. And it feels like if your government is so paralysed that it can't even make – again, we're not talking about – we're not talking about Australian-level gun ban here, right? Like we're talking about very, very mild legislation on guns, and that can't be passed by either party. Or when it came to the big point of Obamacare, which was that they created the closest thing that they ever had to Medicare there – and it was a godsend to the insurance companies. It was like, yeah, okay, more people were insured and they were insured cheaper, but the the insurance companies just, the profits went through the roof as a result of that plan. Like if those are the things, that's the major accomplishment. And really, other than that, what has the American government really accomplished since? Which This, this was something that happened in what, 2010? And it's a self-perpetuating issue because the only way you could live a good life there, you could live a quite a, a, a really prosperous life, is if you actually become rich. Yeah. It seems like if you're not rich in America, your life sucks. If you're rich, it's amazing. Yeah. Do whatever you want. Mm. But it's getting to that point that, you know, when you talk to uh, immigrants driving around Ubers here and it was just like, yeah, was like, what did you do in Afghanistan? And they're just like, it was a doctor. And you're just like, what the fuck? Driving around a cab. Ugh. I remember that when I was in America. Two American citizens. I'd be driving around in cabs and I got two of these people. I got one that was a civil engineer that had to move to Ho- – he was moving to Hong Kong because he just couldn't get a job. And then the other one was some, like, biomedical scientist or something like that. 
again driving an Uber. Yep, gig economy. Because the power is very concentrated with corporations and they are what's driving the economy forward. So the economy is still growing at a reasonable rate. I mean, COVID's obviously put a spanner in the works there, but uh, by all metrics, it doesn't seem like America's going backwards because I'm sure in the next five years, they'll still say, hey, look, we've grown at an average of 3% and that's entirely gone towards the rich, most likely. Yep. Well, just the usual pattern of its history has been like that since the Reagan reforms. It will continue to be like that. It really does feel like they have permanently shut out uh, some kind of like FDR figure. I just I can't see that emerging. In fact, all of the um, did you? There was this study that recently came out that was kind of just saying that it's now much more likely than not that the US will have some sort of Mussolini-like figure coming there. And I, I really hate when people say, like, Trump's a fascist and all that kind of stuff, right? But he's not that, but culturally he was moving towards that, right? Like sort of this uh, strong man kind of, that, 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 that flavour mm. was popular and palatable to the US, oh, no. right? To be honest, I wouldn't blame an average citizen there for voting for someone like that. Yeah, neither would I. If your life is just continually just being degraded, and you're not and you have offered, no control you're not offered it. like an FDR alternative. No, there's nothing there. Yeah. So why not? Yeah, yeah. Why not? I, well, I probably would vote. For and that. and then you know you have the the sort of upper middle class there constantly signalling about how they're such good people because of the uh, cultural values that they hold. When it's a pr- probably quite a luxury to have some of those values. So there's a really good thesis by, um, I think his name is Rob Henderson's uh, Luxury Beliefs. So historically, um, the elites of society would uh, signal their wealth through, uh, you know, fashion or fancy cars or just sort of ostentatious material goods. Uh, and now you see a lot of billionaires who just wear jeans and T-shirts and a lot of rich people that are very unassuming and maybe they drive a decent car, but... They're not always driving the fanciest car. How do they signal their status with their beliefs, with their cultural mm. beliefs? Mm. And so, you mm. know, the perfect point was something like um, not having as strict a code of, of marriage where, you, look, this is a sort of very nuanced conversation, but uh, in previous eras it would be looked down upon if you got divorced and you know, it was even criminal for a while. Um, and... When you've taken that away, that's been very beneficial for uh, middle and upper class families, particularly middle and upper class women who have a job and can raise the kids on their own. But for the working class, for people who aren't particularly well off, the breakdown of marriage has been catastrophic. Mm. It's hurt them Mm. more than it's been beneficial. Of course, because even just the fact that you – don't have two hands in a poor house working for you when in elite houses what you'd have like 20 Mexicans working for you in your <laughs> right. house, right? Like coming like India, yeah, where everyone's either a servant or has a servant. It's it's going there. It's, it's yeah, it's no, going there. I mean, I even went to when I was in LA, New York, this was this was a while ago now as well, 2016, and then I remember just being shocked by the uh, extent of homelessness. And then I went to India and I was like, this is not much worse. And wow. every time I go back to India, it's getting better. No. And every time I go to America, it's getting, getting worse. worse. So 
shit. Yeah, you know, it's like there's a WWE wrestler, Jinder Mahal, and he's, he's such a heel, but he's hilarious. He's like, America is uh, on the decline. <laughs> it said, and um, India is on the up or something. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he had like some kind of speech that all the wrestling fans were booing him. It was hilarious though, because it's so true. Oh yeah, no, he was like, America is like Randy Orton on the decline. Oh man, that's beautiful. <laughs> they were all booing him, but I was like, man, it's kind of true. It, feel, it feels that way. You know, it, like, even... Not that long ago, like ten years ago, you know, it's, it's maybe the most powerful cultural engine of all time with the media there uh, and Hollywood creating masterpieces. That now half of the population hates Hollywood and hates um, the media, doesn't trust them. They have their one source that they trust. They either trust Fox News or they trust CNN, and that's it. They hate everyone else, and I just can't see. I mean. The, the, some of the people I listen to always make the point that, you know, there have been times throughout America's history where there has, these divisions have existed. In fact, they've been worse. What, what examples do they give? Well, I mean, obviously the, the Civil War. Yeah. Okay. That's one. And then I, th- fair point. I don't know. See, that's it. And even in the Civil War, was it as divided? This is the question, right? Because it seems like in the Civil War, there was two sides. Right, we're so talking about here, we're actually a, talking about like a multipolar society. Yeah. It seems right, like it's going right. that way. You know what else as well? There was another study that was coming out that was saying that, and it was, I think it was the CIA's measurements of figuring out what countries are most likely to go into a civil war. And it ranked the US. <laughs> yeah, up there. Up I saw there. that. Yeah. You know what the big indicator of it was, which is a, a real tell for the rest of time, is it's when the differences in the elite class become so profound that there is a re- an actual cultural rift in the elite class and that causes the civil war. And I think that that is like... It, the it's, old money versus it's, new money. Old money versus new... But like actually, I think in the US, the big one is... It's just... The, the Republican Party is owned by one tycoon. And then everyone else is in the Democrat side. But that one tycoon has fr- uh, Coke. Coke. And I. Well, he it's, owns it's a genius the whole move. Thing? What do you mean by that? What is it? Just Man, got there's a, a brilliant book I highly it? recommend it. It's oh. called Democracy in Chains. It's incredible. It's about how the Coke brothers uh, captured the Republican Party and as a result have been using it to disable the Republican institutions of the country and de-democratize it. Um, it's, a, it's a brilliant book. And it really just talks about the fact that, like, you know, the, the fact that the Republican Party, as you were saying, was just kind of like a normal parliamentary party in the 90s. And now when you look at it, it's just, you know, guns, yeah, we'll drop the fucking nuke bomb, who's going to stop us, uh, cl- no, refuses to even acknowledge that climate change exists. Right, they're not even at that stage. Yeah, it's a hoax. All of this stuff is the result of, and in fact, you and can even see win. with, huh? And in in the midterms, they're going to win. Yeah, because people hate the Democrats that much because it's all virtue signaling because they don't actually do anything. Well, this is the other it's thing. Even worse, at least you know what you're getting with the Republicans. Like, all right, you're going to get a lot of uh, right wing cultural policies, and at least that will give people order. 
that give people something that they find somewhat familiar. They've definitely got that going for them. They've always got that in the bag, which is that they can point to a couple of your AOCs that are detestable to the majority of the public and then they run it. But it's, again, it's the same thing because they've got that Coke network of media that they can just push it out to enough people that are at that base. And this is the other reason why the Republican Party is so formidable is because they might be whittled down the if, if uh, people were forced to vote there, the Democrats would win in a landslide every election. But because that fa- fan base is so rabid, uh, it's it's uh, it's essentially become like the world's largest Reddit page, really. Like it's just so bubbly um, that they can get them out to move, and especially in something like midterms. This is the other thing. They're always just saying like, oh, yeah, the Democrats have really stuffed up. That's always the media narrative of it. But it's also just a thing of like which what Americans are going to be motivated enough to go and vote for something that isn't presidential? It just doesn't have the same money. Yeah, every it. two years, what's the point? And then from what yeah. I've heard, sometimes the lines are seven hours. Yeah. Half yeah, of them I'll, don't I'll sit this one half out. Half of them can't even take a day off work. Yeah. They're living paycheck to paycheck. There's just clearly just huge cultural and economic and political issues. And I don't know what you do, man. I, I understand how there's t- taking a turn rightward culturally because you just need some order. You just want some sort of stability. I honestly think, and this is the saving grace, because I, I've, I've really resigned myself to this thought, this thought over the time, right? Like, because you always just hear all these dickheads in my comments things when I'm always talking about tech billionaires and I'm not that scared of them and I think that a lot of it is all doom and gloom. But I do truly believe that society will always be dictated by an elite group and it depends what those elite groups' interests are and I am much happier with tech billionaires controlling the economy and banks and fuel, fossil fuel. Well, that Way is, happier. That is the one saving grace, and I agree with you there because it's like I've, I was saying, it's still those uh, big corporations that are driving the engine of America forward, and now the the, the vanguard there are the tech companies. Yeah. That's you, it. You're right. But the, the, it's still like there's a transfer of power happening there, and that's always actually the the scary point. Yeah, really. When you see power shifting, that's when people start getting desperate, mm. especially in those upper classes, and they'll just be pushing more and more insanity. Really, like it's actually something that Bill Maher did. He did this great new rule uh, a few months back where he was just showing. We're talking about a couple of cycles here as well, right? Like, so you were talking about Republicans in the '90s and how they weren't that different to the Democrats in terms of their rhetoric, right? Then it went to the Tea Party era, and then everybody back then was freaking out about how insane the Tea Party was. This was a midterm operation that was actually invented by the Koch brothers to move that vanguard forward because they started realising, oh, okay, we just need to activate these interest groups, right? He's going back to them and he's showing, like, look at the things that they were saying to the new batch of congressmen and senators. What was an example of like an example? What I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was it was something like they 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 just said something that was just like off color, right? I don't know something like when they just said it wasn't this, but it's something like that. It was like uh, would if your constituency wanted you to legalize slavery, would you? And they were just like, yep, I absolutely would. And then. I think that they had to like disown the the candidate or something like that, right? And then they just and then he just goes, look at them now, and then it just shows two Republicans in a primary for a seat that no one's ever heard of, right? 
and they're just beating the shit out of each other in a debate while the adjudicator's just sitting there being like, order, order, like scared, while the audience is sitting there being like, yeah, kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> that's mad. Arguably, that's not as bad as someone saying, yeah, I'd legalise slavery. At least they're just fighting yeah. with each other. I know, I know, but like- That's actually not as bad. <laughs> no, yeah, okay, that's the whole thing. Like, yeah, the, the, the core surface of it isn't as bad, but it just shows like- It's the degradation It's, it's insanity. Of, yeah. It's turning into insanity. <laughs> it's getting to that level. It's, it's just apes beating each other for like whoever's like the tallest ape. Yeah, that's what dude, it's turned it's to. Become this, it's, it's moving into a culture of what I would have assumed existed during the times of sort of warlords where there's just these, just, just this small oligarchy of elite men that control all the resources and all the power and everyone else is just brutally fighting each other for the scraps. And as a result, people turn more towards religion I'm guessing in those sorts of times because it's very tumultuous and people want an answer and in a society that has a lot of rampant suffering, the best way to contend with that suffering is with a code of um, religious values because then that gives you something to suffer for. So you're going to get more uh, policies like the abortion one, right? The whole country is taking a shift rightward culturally and it's on the same track economically. Well, people just don't really see, don't care about little issues of, you know, how much power should the government have over roads or something. That's not going to get any media attention at all. It's all about, no. all right, what is a woman? Or uh, gun rights or, what you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. And these are actually issues that there's only so much the government can do. I mean, when we're talking about those Band-Aid fixes, they can do things like that, but... Culture can sort of be moulded by governments, but ultimately it's actually, it's sort of, it's movements, it's uh, academia can do a lot about culture. The media will have a big say. No, governments kind of just have to play to the pitch when it comes to culture. Basically. They have to react to it. But that was, again, the genius of the Coke Network, which was the fact that they built up a media empire and they also, and this was the really good point of theirs, they started shifting academia in the US. They started funding universities and saying, we're only continuing your funding if you put these people on the board. They started all these scholarships. This is a really scary one for law where people, this was Brett Kavanaugh, I think. He was one of these graduates from it uh, where they would be like, we're giving these people legal scholarships uh, if they adhere to our view and interpretation of the law and then they just keep getting moved up the ranks getting more and more institutionalized by the scholarships and like jumping through the hoops that they have to get to to the point that then they are able to just start appointing all these federal judges like this is the reason that you heard trump just being like we appointed more federal judges than any other government in history and it's just like why the fuck would the average person care about that why would anyone, like, why is that, like, one of the big accomplishments of yours? He's, he's talking to the Coke Network there. He's saying, we got all of these judges in place that adhere your interpretation of the law, which is a very extreme interpretation of the law, into Parliament and, and, and into, into federal courts. And, and then also on the Supreme Court, it was the same thing. They're just mm. moving them up further. So, like, that is the creation of culture. Like culture actually comes from now. This is the whole thing that really scares me about it. And actually as like an avid observer of culture, it should scare you a lot. I think that in the past, obviously there's always been institutions that have been the sort of molders of culture. But I think now 
it's so much more artificial than it has ever been. Culture used yeah. to grow up somewhat organically. I really think that we're getting to the point that it's all astroturfed. I don't know if uh, federal judges have a huge part to play in, in, in the sort of day-to-day culture of how people live their lives, but... No, but when it comes to those abortion things or anything like that, like, the Koch brothers don't really care yeah. about abortion, well, right? But, like, that's something... But the thing that, like, when it comes power. to things like... That's not cultural power. Legislative power is not cultural power because, because the, the, the last I saw... Me, most Americans actually didn't want a total ban on abortion, even conservatives and things. So that's, to me, where the culture is. It's like, where's the popular opinion? That's the culture. And then it does not lock in lockstep with um, the legislators, then that I would differentiate that from the culture. Yeah, sorry, sorry. The, the judge's point is not really exclusively culture. It's more just about those judges in there, then they vote, uh, you know, that some horrendous pipeline that they put in is legal, that kind of things. So, you know, that, that, uh-huh. that's why they want control of the legislation. The other reason they want the control of the legislation is because after a while you can start shaping and interpreting the Constitution. Their overall goal, which really freaks me out, is the Chicago boys that did the coup in Chile with the CIA to test it as this lab of how much neoliberalism can we get away with? And then ever since then, they've had all these popular leaders in Chile that have only ever been able to do so much because their constitution was shaped in a way that it, quote, has all these padlocks on it where they can't actually do anything to the legislation. So it's just permanently in this, like, 80s steroids kung fu grip. And that's what the country's in. That's their overall goal. But, like, yeah, culturally... It's more about the fact that they have uh, so much uh, investment and infrastructure in media and also in academia. They've really penetrated both of those two areas. They've looked at what are the things that shape culture and then they've shaped it. And have they specifically put some of those radical, what would a lot of people would describe as sort of radical Marxists or radical cultural Marxists, these critical theorist types, and sort of amplified them through the avenue of academia so that the average populace look at that and think, well, what, this is insane. You well, know, see, well, there's no difference between a man and a woman or whatever, that, those sorts of theories, because they've sort of stemmed from academia as well. Yes, and that's the other... Because uh, I remember you telling the me other that. Coin, mm. That's the other coin of corporatization of academia in the US. It's as actually... Uh, I can't remember what it was, Richard Wolff, right? So this this constant argument back and forth between snarky Reddit and Jordan Peterson of him saying there's Marxists in academia and them saying, no, there's not. They're both right, I think. There's no economic Marxists yeah, in academia. Yeah, I think None, they don't exist anymore. It's not It's not that they're sort of from the school of Karl Marx there, but, uh, you know, that you can draw branches from that sort of academic school of thought and then you add in that postmodernism school, and then today you get something that's a combination of all of those that have come through this sort of that they have the same sort of academic ancestral lineage. Yes, but it's it is to be fair, it's not entirely accurate to just simply call them Marxists. I mean, when you really yeah. press him on it, he does say, "Oh, you know, it's not just that they're Marxists, but they take an element of Marxism, which is that you know, there's the oppressor group and the oppressed group." And um, it's not about competence or whatever. And then um, the idea that, you know, there's no objective truth and sort of molded those sort of concepts together to create a loosely aligned ideology that is pervasive now in a lot of 
academic institutions. But the, the difference between that and the school that I'm talking about, right? So, yes, that also exists. That is from another corporate wing uh, that wants to push those kind of values into students. That's definitely part of it because, again, it's like these corporate sponsorships and a lot of privatisation of universities and all of these fees. So there's a lot of pressure on these boards to weed out any of those kind of Marxists that are sitting there with a chalkboard just saying, like, this is why society is the way it is economically and stuff. They don't want those people getting taught anything. And obviously they're not the ones that uh, are going to be – students aren't going to be picked up in scholarship programs, the ones that are all saying that, you know, the the real problem is Bank of America or whatever, right? Like, they're they're not going to be picking those people up. Uh, They will be picking up people that, like in the teal seats here, uh, adhere to that kind of CEO corporate board – uh, morality, which is mostly just about we want more people of colour and more women on these boards, mostly so that we know how to appeal to these people of colour and women more so that we can increase profits. Like, that that really is the ideology behind that. The other thing that I think uh, Chomsky points out is when you hear all of these Fox News types talking about postmodernism and all this kind of stuff, he's like, yeah, I completely agree with them. They are nuts. But the, the, the other reason that they kind of exist like that, it's not some it, – it's it's more because there's also this element when it comes to these kind of like humanity subjects, yeah? The way that they continue their funding is by making their arguments – shrouded in a bunch of jargon that only other people can understand and so then other people outside of it that uh, approve their funding think well they must be talking about something intelligent let's just keep their funding continuing over but that's that's kind of like that's that's a weird insanity that sort of happened in academia the Mm. uh the the seems like a culture as well there that is a culture there, but that, that's because, again, that's like the way that you secure funding. Like the, the things that are shaping uh, the culture, I suppose, are these kind of funding streams, right? So state funding <laughs> would be like subjected to that, where they would just be sitting there on boards and think, oh, okay, well, you know, this humanity subject thing has just made this thesis that no <clears> one understands. Okay, they must be doing something, continue that. Then you have all of these scholarships from business councils and from, you know, massive insurance agencies and banks and all that kind of stuff that want a certain type of person with a certain view to come out of universities. And then you have the Coke network that are also funding universities. It's like it's it really does make a lot of sense when you look at where the money's going, why culture is the way it is now. And that's why I'm saying, like, there is it's, – it's a lot more – culture's a lot more planned now than it's ever been – And it's reflective in, like, our generation, right? When I talk to people from Gen Z and they say, and I say, like, you know, what's your version of hipsters, which are annoying enough, their version's Antifa, you know? And then the opposite of Antifa gets closer to, and I hate this phrase, I hate the phrase because, like, it plays into Antifa's narrative, but it's like... It's got – I really don't want to say it, but it's kind of true. Like that, that sort Nazi of fascist flavor to it, you know? 
not necessarily Nazi. This is where I think it goes. Yeah. It's it's not so much that, but it's this kind of thing of just like strong militant leadership. Yeah. They like that idea. These are the ideas that are kind of getting shaped in the Western world now. Yeah, and I can't blame either of those groups for thinking the way they do when you see what the sort of broad uh, majority culture is doing. People want something. They want something extreme because they feel like only something extreme can change what we have and whether that's that kind of radical anti-fascist, the only way to... uh, take down an oppressive state is with violence and you can't exi- you can't sort of operate within a system that is inherently pr- oppressive or that whatever you want to call it proud boys fascistic uh strong leadership strong government because there is such a lack of that anywhere else in the world so it makes anywhere else in the country so i wouldn't blame people for wanting to emulate that and promulgate that throughout a society that is at least in my estimation relatively void of it yeah it's that it's it's like it's gonna yeah sorry go on i mean look it may also just be i'm very interested in that view that it's been methodically planned out like that and because even that methodical planning ultimately would come down to the profit incentive because what these people are all billionaires they want to maximize that and when you have this huge cultural engine that is media and Hollywood that is now c- completely void of any greater cause, I'm, I'm sure there would have been a lot of people in media in the early 20th century that it would have still had some connection to the nation or God or whatever it may have been. Uh, if they're just purely looking at what is going to get views, what is going to bring in and generate the, the highest amount of revenue and profit, uh, I don't think that's going to be challenging people. I don't think that's going to be looking at some sort of deeper sense of meaning. It's going to be, all right, what's going to sell the most tickets and merchandise in the short term? Well, don't you think that also now, this is the thing, this is what creeps me out, is that that was, there, there, there was economic logic behind the 80s, moved into the 90s, 2000s, and then everyone started losing their minds in the late 2010s. And I think that that's happened because originally those were the things that were pushing these viewpoints in university. But after a while, because that has been the training of these people and that's the way that they've been conditioned to look at the world, they actually do do that now. So now you see these things like the classic, right, the Gillette ad or something. People in the corporate world thought that you should market to men by saying that they're awful. There's no way that that had any economic logic behind it. That was that was brainwashing. No, I think in their mind they thought there was economic logic because they're in a bubble. They're, they're in, in a the cultural bubble. bubble. They're in the cultural bubble. But that's the thing, right? Like the bubble is now self-generating. Like that is the culture now that originally I, had those methods behind it. And it's the same thing. Like okay. you listen to Charles Koch, for instance. Charles Koch is brainwashed in his view of the world. Like, yeah. he really, truly, deeply believes what he believes. Sorry, sorry. Well, I, yeah. I, I would suggest that a lot of people who uh, wield power in these massive economic institutions subconsciously acknowledge that they are living a very privileged life and they are part of this elite vanguard that maybe they had some advantages and they probably drive past the homeless people 
every day to their multi-million dollar office in LA or New York or wherever it may be. And they repress that guilt. And how do they absolve themselves of that with these sort of shallow social issues that then allow them to sleep well at night in their mansion because yep. they can say, I've done my bit for humanity. Yep. I, I've, you know, put a black person in this ad. Yeah. When they're not doing, really not doing anything for humanity. I mean, look, some of them are very philanthropic. Some of them probably do feed the homeless or things like that. But ultimately, that the, they are part of the engine that is driving a lot of inequality. Now, I'm not, I don't know what the solution is because I don't think it's just necessarily putting exorbitant amounts of regulations on some of these big media companies and things, but something has to change culturally. And I would be op- I, 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 having public tertiary education institutions seems like it could um, be a better option, but even that to grapple power back from universities in America now that are, so well-funded and well-endowed by some of these billionaires, that'd be a big ask. So just avoiding universities altogether. The thing is, because it's such a brutal society, you kind of have to do all of that now. You know, there's so much pressure on every individual in America to become rich and to at least get into the upper middle class. And, you know, it creates a much more callous society that way. And especially then you take into account the fact that no one really has any of those sort of greater ethical or moral concerns because it's hard it's hard to, to have that when you're already struggling well it's a recipe for disaster and it, you know i who knows what the solution is because even when the republicans say when you go back to community values people need to look out for their neighbors people need to go to church and yeah church was a sort of bastion for uh you know kinship and community and everyone knew each other. And, you know, if you had bad parents, you at least there was a boon against that in that there were probably a lot of people that helped raise you that maybe sort of looked after you once every now and again. But everyone is extraordinarily atomized now. Not just that the nuclear family is atomized, every individual is atomized. Mm. You know, I live a very individualistic life. I'm just pretty much doing my own thing for most of the day. And, I and you know... I wonder what it, every individual can do, but also I can't just I can't see uh, a community that sort of is ripped apart culturally that probably hate each other and you know half the people have guns, half the people are addicted to opioids and who knows what they're doing to make money to just suddenly oh hey just start caring for your neighbor again just start just start thinking about you know what the struggles that the person across the street might be going through. I'm sure there's still some people that do that, but. That's easier said than done. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think whether it's an all-out civil war, there needs to be a big reset of sorts. Yeah. Some form of – I don't think it's going to be a revolution in the, in the traditional sense where there's just an army of people storming the capital or CNN or whatever it may be. I hope they do storm CNN. Man, fuck, that yeah, that would be, be amazing. That would be great. Uh, but who knows what that revolution would look like, but, that, you know, I think people are just going to stop caring. I mean, you kind of get that with alcohol debts and drug debts. That's that's a person who just doesn't care anymore. Yeah. And then with a school shooter, you get someone who never had the opportunity to care. Mm. And, you know, and by no means am I justifying anything that any of these school shooters have done. I just, I think it's, 
I think it's important to um, psychoanalyze these people and understand what their motives are and how they got to that point. But it, that, that is a truly atomized man that does that. Yes, to say the least. A lot of them, it comes down to, a lot of them, it was troubles with women. They would reject it a lot. And they, you know, when you have this sort of high school culture where uh, the pressure is now to actually get laid and to be uh, sexually active and, you know, uh, be a player and be desirable to women when I'm guessing in the 50s there were probably people that were doing that but it was sort of hidden a little bit and, and the average person just met someone through church or their parents found them someone or I don't know exactly how they would have done it. I'm sure there was problems that way as well, but there would have been a much more ordered society. You just knew what you were going to do. You, most people probably didn't even finish high school. They didn't need to. That's the other thing. People are very just overeducated in these kind of mediocre uh, courses that you don't need a three-year degree for. I mean, you, unless you're going to do something like engineering, medicine, these sort of practical courses where you need to learn the, the precise skills you know if you're going to do media you don't you don't need a degree if you need to do real estate or something you don't need a degree there's so many of these courses that you just end up in a sort of office job we could have just learned on the job i don't see how you needed a three-year degree it's because the university wants to make money at the end of the day uh but i just yeah i just think back there was just a there was just order to society, and there's no order. It's just chaotic. Mm. No one knows what to do, mm. and this is the you know it's the phrase everyone quotes. But what is it? It's an African proverb, and it's like a, a young man that doesn't feel the warmth of his village will burn it down to feel that warmth. Oh, really? Or something like that. I don't know if that's exactly what it is, but it's pretty apt, I think. Yeah. Wow, I didn't. Yeah, that, well, if that's if that proverb is what you said it is, that that sums it up quite well. Because yeah, as you said before, like losers in high school have always existed. They have always <laughs> existed, but there were just sort of avenues for them to gain status and purpose and meaning. Yeah, whereas now, now it's just much much easier to retreat onto the internet, where you are. Well, you'll get worse. And you, you have your chess society, but they're not talking about chess. You find like a darker and darker hole to go down. And yeah, that becomes your chess club. Mm. Yeah, that is actually, now that I think about it, I mean, that was always just like, shut up, boomers, when they talked about how the internet uh, perverts the mind. And I always thought that it perverted the mind. It's not the right word. Uh, you know, that... Uh, you know, the, the internet is this dangerous thread. It's like, yeah, yeah, th th there's definitely merit to that argument. So, yeah, I think that's probably it, man. Like, in fact, if you were to boil down, if you, if you could sum up everything that goes into creating a school shooter, it would be the atomization of society. And it does feel like that when you're in America. America feels more atomized than here. 
It feels more atomized than anywhere I've ever been in my life, actually. Like, even if, even even when you are talking to people that work at, like, the hotel reception or something like that, you can see a fear in their eyes that just doesn't exist in Australia, and I think a lot of that comes from job insecurity, and so I think yeah, that there is a pressure, thing... With, yeah. yeah, where they're thinking all the time two things of, like, how am I going to pay my bills, and also, like, I'm very, very replaceable. And yeah. so, like, that that creates the exact opposite of cohesion within your workforce. And what I think something I mean, you, you, you tell me if you agree on this, but uh, a lot of uh, cultural imperatives that would have ultimately benefited the people who own capital were sort of co-opted as these sort of social justice issues. So getting more women into the workforce, well, who does that ultimately benefit? It benefits the people who own the corporations because they can have, you know extra people working for them and there's more competition for the labor there and then you drive down the prices similarly with immigration they made it about race and bigotry when really who does it benefit at the end of the day mm. it's just a great way to continually drive the economy without it even increasing productivity and mm -hmm. there's just a, just far more competition for basic and medium level jobs Mm. I'm not saying we re reverse either of those things, but there was never a plan in place to decide how do we deal with the ramifications of this massive cultural change. And in fact, the answer was, as you said, in both of those instances, when it was, what do we do about these things once that Pandora's box was open? It was to create yet another culture war. Well, that, it's, that's happening. It's happening. Yeah. Because isn't it... it quite deeply ironic that all these teal candidates are funded by a powerful white man. Mm. Well, again, yeah, because he, he understands, he obviously, like, he's, he's, a smart he's been operator. looking at all of the focus yeah. groups and all that kind of stuff, and he knows that that's how you get it in. In fact, that was the thing that was handed to me when the, I was about to vote for Allegra Spender, which made it so much harder to vote for her. It was just like, just say climate change, but they were just handing out, strong woman for parliament, strong woman for parliament. It was just like, Okay, I know that that's going to get you that vote there, but it is that same point again, which is that you keep doing that to society and you get America. Yeah. That's, if, that's when you start moving that way. Yeah, and there's no concern for how people's actions actually affect society. No. Because it's about, oh, what is good for me individually? Now, look, I'm not, I'm not some beacon of morality, so I'm not Sydney suggesting that I am, but... What is good for the individual may not necessarily be good for society at large. Every time you even if you really took a strict lens on on something like this, every time you binge drink, for example, that's fine. That's great for you in the short term. It's bad for you long term, whatever. But what are you doing to the just the basic fabric of society there? Like, are you then the people around you then are more likely to do that? It becomes normalized. You know, this is a hard sell in a country like Australia. Sure, I'm not saying that's just one specific example, but the point is, like, there's a societal, there's an individual benefit. Often, if there is an individual benefit, there's probably a societal cost to whatever action you are currently undertaking. Mm. Mm. So, and that's why, like, you go through just basic behavioral codes. Even you know, d don't uh, don't be gluttonous or don't sloth or whatever the hell you know, all those ones. And it's like, yeah. Sometimes people want to have a day off where they just want to laze around and eat, eat chips and watch TV or Netflix, but 
when you're actually normalizing a culture like that, how much does it then benefit? How much does it then negatively impact society when 100 people start doing that? Mm. They're seeing that their friends do it and then it's kind of, you know, joked about. And then a thousand people start doing that. And then a million start, people start doing that. Then it actually affects the productivity of the nation mm. when a million people start doing mm. things like mm. that. Mm. And it's something to think about. Again, it's not really something I can really stand on a high horse and say, sit on a high horse, I should say, and say I've been, you know, some kind of paragon of virtue. But uh, as you get older, you start to think about more, all right, what is the, how's this impacting society? Mm. Just me. Mm. Well, you're definitely right. It's, if you look at the seven deadly sins, all of them are propagated in advertising endlessly. It's always about consumption. It's always about sex. It's always about using some form of drug or like altercation. As you said, it's just it's just endlessly like uh, giving to what is most expedient to you right now. The thing that is going to give you the most pleasure in this exact second, do that. And I have seen that over and over again with the people that – I grew up with those that were the most hedonistic have the worst lives now are a drain on society. <laughs> yeah. Massive drain on society. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to look back at 10 years. I'm 28 now, 10 years ago, the people that I probably was envious of having the most fun easily, very popular. Yeah. The life of the party, you look at them now and you're like, well, that caught up with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very hard to get out of that cycle. Especially because like, to change. you don't have the energy when you're that age. Like you've got less energy at least and you've got even more diminished energy because you haven't been conserving it or like building it. A habit, the habit is solidified. Is solidified and doesn't make your brain work properly. That's the other problem as well. Like all of these things just keep compounding on themselves. It's age as well as that you're unhealthy, as well as that you have brain damage from the drugs. And then you know what you see a lot? This is the real reason that I really despise anyone that's just so avidly hateful of Jordan Peterson because it's always a type. It's always a type of person. And every single fucking time I see that person, they're always someone who you just know that what's actually happened, like their psychology in their head is someone is telling me, don't shame me, but they're also telling me something that I must know at some level deep down is correct, right? Like I know that I should be taking personal responsibility. I know that I shouldn't just be, uh, you know, living for the moment as I do my entire life. But I also know that I'm incapable of it. So it's easier to just push that person away and dismiss that person and like point out all of their faults Mm -hmm. than it is to just take on board that advice because you know that you're not living it and that you're not capable of living it. And again, coming back to what I was saying before, like I think you you have to choose one or the other if you're going to have this – uh, deregulated liberal society. It needs it needs to be combined with a strict code of ethics, very ordered and controlled ethical code that people, uh, you know, pressure into each other. And that means there will be some shame, and that means there will be some people that aren't living up to that, and they need to stop manipulating the rest of society and saying, "Oh, that makes me feel bad." Well, you're obese. You should feel bad. Mm. You know, stop mm. it. Like, stop manipulating everyone else who's disciplined and actually working out and working hard 
and trying to better themselves and probably setting a better example for society because it hurts your feelings. Mm. Mm. Like it's the epitome of self-interest there. And, and yes, you always have to make the point in saying, yeah, there's some people who go way too far with that and they dehumanise people and it's, it is a problem and it's not easy. Uh, it becomes an addiction and, you know, you're not in your rational mind when you're doing things like this. You just It's just emotionally you're sort of drawn to whatever it may be, fast food or whatnot, but this that I think is one we can sort of change a little bit. I'm sure, you know, there was you can bring back a bit of shame. But Shame's there's great. There's nothing wrong with shaming people for doing things that are objectively bad for society. That's my I talked about this like a year in the podcast, but it's my thing that I noticed about Christianity that is lacking in all of self-help literature. And you know I'm like the biggest fan of self-help ever, but just the fact that there's nothing saying anymore really like, yes, yes, you are a bad person and here's why you're a bad person. No, that, that's that. that's yeah. gone, gone. Well, it's saying it if you don't have the right signal, if you don't signal the right beliefs, which is easy to do. It's easy to post about something. It's easy to say the right things. I mean, even you, you were saying before we started the podcast, the, the now you're going to get a lot of the acceptance speeches or just speeches in general that are going to signal and say the right thing and say, look, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land. That's great. What does that actually do? Mm. Mm. You bring about a sentiment among people and they feel like they've done something. You haven't. Mm. That's okay. So that's probably not the right way to say it. Then uh, it's not. You know what it actually was. It really was that now signalling about morality is literally skin deep. It's not. It's not spiritual. No, yeah. Sorry. Go say on. Something else. It's not even that. There is no shame. You've just sort of extrapolated that shame and put it on to other people now. So, yeah, that's right. There's no, like there's no self-shame. Okay. There's no self-shame. Exactly. No so, self-shame. like, all right, don't shame me. I'm addicted to drugs. And again, like, yeah, of course. I, 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 there should be government institutions that are helping you there. There should be a community that supports you and people should try to be as generous as they possibly can. That's not – there are societal factors at play that you can easily lean on and say, look, and, and you know, I'm sure there would have been – a history of abuse and things like that there, but there are also people who are just lazy yep, and who lack is. discipline and who just want to live in the moment and then want to blame every everyone else, everything else except themselves. Like, like I have the biggest respect for people who at least are trying. They're trying. They, they, maybe that didn't work. They try something else. They're trying. That is great. I love that. I love seeing that, but I hate seeing – someone who is just wallowing in, in self-pity and not even trying. Like, yeah, it is hard. No one's denying these sorts of things are hard, but try. Just just try. But you get So, sorry, coming back to the shame thing, right, it's now upon the people who are creating the shame in the first place. So, sorry, it's if you bring about shame in someone, then the shame is directed at you. So it's not like it's this shame-free society. No, yeah, you're right. They've just externalised that. If you're, if you are, you know, successful or like very fit or whatever it may, you know, these are these sort of culture war issues again. But if you've had a very successful, healthy marriage or something like that, then you know, you oh, but you can't brag about it too much. You'll make some other people feel bad. So then you're the one that feels the t- like when 
people who are actually living up to what was traditionally the moral standard are the ones feeling bad and feeling shame, then society's got a real big problem there. Yeah. If the kids in high school who are actually avoiding uh, casual sex and, and fleeting dopamine hits, if they're the ones who feel the most insecure and they're the ones who feel bad, society is sick. Yeah. It's terrible. And yeah, that's man, far out. That that's completely tilted on its head. And you get the other extreme in the East Asian countries where people who don't come first in their class are killing themselves. Yeah. So maybe a bit of a middle ground between those two would be nice. <laughs> High pressure. But like again, like you look at it and it's just well, which countries are on the up? That's true. All right. Well, uh <laughs> I think we'll leave that one there. Yeah. The self-pity thing is huge because it actually goes back to the gun shooting thing as well. Like in all of their manifestos, there is a lot of self-pity. can't remember the Japanese author that said it, but he was just being like, self-pity is for assholes. It's, it's man, it's like honestly... Such a great sign, like uh, uh, indicator that somebody is going to be a bad person. How much they wallow in self pity. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, anyway, you're right. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's 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 actually like I think it's a human sort of urge to to do that to be the to play the to be the victim. In many cases, people do have a right to claim that victimhood status, but. That's always going to be subjective towards you. I don't think you. they do, though. Like, I honestly think that if you take victimhood status... Well, there's a nuance. It's, there's nuance there because, you know, some people can be sad and grieving and be going through a tough period in their life, and that's not self-pity. Well, it is self-pity, but it's kind of like in that time, while you're self-pitying... Can you honestly admit that you are being constructive? The only way, the only possible person that you could be possibly being constructive to is yourself because you're grieving and you're getting out of it, right? But at that time, while you are in self-pity, you are a burden. You really can't contribute. You're not in the state to contribute. So if it becomes a habit, if that is just your general go-to point of view, that you should feel sorry for yourself, Man, like you, you, a complete drain. And if you've like kind of, and which is exactly what has been sort of the culture that's happened now. Like if, if you think about it, a lot of it is just like there's the fact that anyone that I ever speak to now in Gen Z always has to come up with some reason for why they are, you know, like just the classic talking point of like a, a victim or something like that. Yeah. Like you really really do need to eliminate that on an individual level. The countries that have less self-pity would be doing better in terms of that cultural thing. That's the first thing that should be eliminated. Mm. Because, yeah, it's a pl- it can become a placebo when you say it's, in, it's okay to feel sad and it's okay to not do the things you're trying to do or that are expected of you. And that's a, I think that's a good sentiment, but what is the overall effect that it may have on the culture at large? I think that's the the poignant question that needs to be asked. 
rather than, okay, it's going to make some people feel quite good and it might even actually harm some people, but with a net effect on society. I think that's how people need to start asking these cultural questions. Like, all right, this may help some people. This may be beneficial for others and it may not seem like much of a cost for everyone else, but what is the net effect on society over the medium to long term? It's just so weird because it's like, how do you even, you know what? It's actually truly a, uh, one of those subjects where you're just like, where, where, where do you even begin? Yeah. You even start? I mean, like all you control. do is like, I guess like you, you follow Instagram pages with inspirational messages on them. <laughs> but like, yeah, there's it. a lot of that is futile as well. That's also very much people trying to. Look, we're all slaves to the algorithm to a certain degree. I mean, I try not to purposefully create content that I think will do well just because it's hitting the right notes, but whether subconsciously I'm doing that, I probably am. Uh, we're all trying to get that hit. It's it's only human. You, you, I think you need a really strong culture that's actively fighting against that but like okay because you spend time on tiktok i don't that's where the young people are at what would you describe <laughs> the general mood uh snarky very snarky it's it's actually i was, I was it's it's sort of the, it's well, this will be the last thought i should I always do that Ooh, we're about to end and then let's keep going but uh the complete opposite to what 18-year-olds were like when I was 18 because when I was 18, it was that, oh, random, oh, oh, I'm so cute with my emo fringe phase where no one was willing to just say what they thought and put it out there because they were too, didn't want to upset people. And as a result, you had that kind of like, oh, don't try too hard hipster random phase. It's the complete opposite now. You just these 15-year-olds uh, just fervently... Uh, stating their political views on an app that's broadcast to millions of people. There's oh, a, there's that a is sense, weird. There's a conf There's a, like a deep sense of confidence, but at the same time, they have the most anxiety and depression maybe in history. Well, I don't know in history, but in the, in the last couple of generations. So it's this because again, it's that it's it's actually it's not look. See, this is the weird thing. It's this weird flavor of thinking that you're. Are they? It's performative. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. It's performative, surely. The views that they have so, yeah. are the views that they think are going to not even. I don't even think get clicks. I think it's more just whatever is socially acceptable in their algorithm, and they will just confidently state that. Yeah, but these sorts of things become systematized to the point where that you know you genuinely do think that. I don't think they're sort of thinking, "Oh, that's what I have to say to get views." Yeah, you just sort of like uh, you do think subconsciously that. making these acute calculations as to what is the appropriate thing to say to signal to your tribe. We're doing that. Everyone, I think, every human does that. But see, this is the whole thing. This is what I'm always trying to. You know what? It was once actually. 
when you pointed it out, when you were kind of just like, look, when you're saying, you know, like these are culture issues and, you know, you should just be focusing on facts and figures and all that kind of stuff. By saying, you know, I'm above culture wars and cultural politics and stuff. You are creating a culture by doing that. Yeah, everything becomes a culture. Everything becomes a it's, it's becomes unavoidable. It's, 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 yeah. it's unavoidable. Yeah. All right, well, we'll leave it there. Thank you for listening to that one. Um, ooh, that was good. Got pretty intense there. Uh, come see us live, comedyuntamed.com. If you're in Brisbane, June 19th, first Brisbane show, it's going to be fun. Where's it at? Sit Down Comedy Club, the Comics Lounge of Brisbane. Yeah? Yeah. Nice? Yeah. How many is it seat? Like 250-ish, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah. Mm. Nice place. Well, it's got the right name. Yes. Anything that sounds like it's something like that. We're doing you know? all the comedy clubs. Newcastle Comedy Club, Sit Down Comedy Club, Comics Lounge. In fact, just in Sydney, we're not doing the comedy club. And, and with good reason. Well, it's politics. But <laughs> um, I actually offered it. The, the, the deal was it was better where we're doing it. Um, what are you doing in Sydney? Pods Point Hotel. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. So come see a smorgasbord of some of the best comedians from those respective cities Hosted by yours truly. Do a bit of improv as well. Get people up. It's a lot of fun. So come along. Comedyuntamed.com and friendlyjordies.com. Go see him live. Thank you for listening, guys. Next episode, we're going to get back to some questions. We haven't answered some questions in a while. We've got a few, so we're going to at least do one. All right. Have a good one. See ya.